Well, good afternoon, everyone. Happy Sabbath. We want to welcome you back to the Melbourne City Adventist Church as we're restarting our in-person services. We also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. We're glad that um, you've uh, decided to tune in uh, for our live stream. I hope you've had a good week. Our week was very eventful, especially today. Um, Joshua has a close friend that he plays with in prep, and his friend tested positive for COVID. Um, and so we found out yesterday. And so Jin Hub, doing her due diligence, went and we took Joshua to uh, get a PCR test, and we waited. <laughs> we thought, what's going to happen if Joshua tests positive? So 10 a.m. rolls around, no response. 11 a.m., noon, one o'clock and now we're kind of like okay what's gonna happen here and finally we get the text message um hello <laughs> joshua joshua kim tested negative we're like oh thank you god <laughs> it's like well what would what would we do what are the time that we're living in but i hope i hope your week was uh was a good one um this week was a lot of uh kind of looking at the next few weeks that are going to happen, and it was kind of filling in the diary with appointments and projects and things that I'm working on. And as I looked at the diary, I realized that um, it's actually Jinhan, my 10-year anniversary next Friday. So I was like, oh, I should actually block some time out for that. <laughs> that'll be a good thing to do. <laughs> but um, anyway, well, we are going to be finishing our series on growing in grace. So we're in part three. And for the last two times that I've been sharing, we've been covering Acts chapter two. And we've explored how there is a literary structure in Acts chapter two, verses 38 to 47. And let's see if I can get that up there. Okay. And um, there's a scholar by the name of uh, Chiri... Oh, dear. Her first name is Cheery. <laughs> and in the literary structure, you'll notice in verses 41 to 47, which is highlighted in the gray, um, that there's numerical growth in the church. So at the beginning of that uh, pericope and at the end of it, there is a repeated statement. And because both of these verses have similar content, they serve as this boundary to verses 42 to 46. Now, the author is communicating to the reader if you want to know how the church grew in such a significant way, then pay close attention to the verses in between the boundary texts. So there's this inclusion of ideas that is communicated through the repeated boundary texts. And in verse 42, the author highlights four devotional practices, which are highlighted in different colors. And let me just get a little zoomed um, view of that. So the four ideas are attention to God's word and his works, shared participation and of resources, a breaking of bread, and prayer. So in part one and two of the series, I shared about um, the significance of spending time uh, in God's word and, experiences, and experiencing his work and also the importance of shared participation. So today I'll cover the devotional practices of breaking bread and prayer. So I just want to spend a brief moment on what it means to break bread. There's some research that's been shown about the importance of families having mealtime together. And there's some really interesting statistics. If families share 
one meal a day with their children and get at least three meals in per week, there's a significant increase in the um, likelihood of their child sticking through school. And so the difference is 30%. So there's a 30% higher chance that your child will stick through their education if you share family meals together. And there isn't really one specific meal that's highlighted over the other. But um, yeah, it's just the idea of parents and families spending time together. Now what I want to do is kind of talk about the um, benefits that, that are kind of highlighted in this research. And there are health benefits, but I want to talk about the, um, the, the mental benefits of meal sharing. So what researchers say is that when families have positive meal times together, it helps create a sense of belonging amongst the people who are part of the family. And what this does is it builds um, this sense of trust between children and their parents, a sense of trust between uh, children and their parents. Um, it also gives a time where families can kind of explore family values and traditions and talk about the day and explore uh, what a person had experienced. And there's something very significant about being able to sit down with the same group of people consistently to share about your life. There's this interconnectedness and attachment that develops as a result of shared mealtime. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, um, the author writes, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet each other, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And the day here that is mentioned, uh, the day that is mentioned here is the second coming of Christ. And so here, uh, many believe that Paul is the author of Hebrews. Paul encourages the church. As we get closer to the time of the end, the implication is that things will get more and more difficult. So in times of difficult difficulty, the human tendency is actually to spend time in isolation and to separate because it's easier to be by yourself with your own thoughts, doing things that you enjoy doing. And I don't know if you're like me, but uh, for me, it's this idea of you switch on um, a talk show or you switch on the sitcom, and this it's like a nice escape from reality. But the challenge is that that leads to isolation. And here, the... Uh, advice of the council is to do the opposite, to press together in times of difficulty. Now, I realize that this is an ideal. Spend time with different people, rub shoulders with them, and many times interactions with family members and even, of course, in the context that we're speaking of, in the context of church, you're rubbing shoulders with strangers and you're interacting with people who have different cultural, political, and social values than yourself. And sometimes this can lead to uncomfortable situations. The reality is it's easier to connect with people like ourselves or just to connect with ourselves. And what the counsel here is to do the opposite of what feels natural. Notice what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, and then 14 to 19. Paul writes, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God 
should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I realize that's a lot of text. And just to summarize, Paul says there's this mystery that God wants to reveal through the church. We read on from verses 14 to 19. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you to power with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There's something very significant here. Paul says there's this, there's this promise where we can experience the manifold fullness of the love of Christ within the context of a community. Now, we are kind of entering into this era where spirituality is becoming more and more of a personal thing. But there's something significant here. It's saying that the fullness of God's love cannot be experienced in isolation. If my spirituality is primarily personal, by definition, I cannot know the fullness of God. Now, is spirituality and individuality personal? Of course. There are aspects of our connection with God that are personal, and we should cultivate that individuality and that personal connection with God. But there's also something that's to be explored and experienced in the context of a community. Before I go to prayer, there's this, um, there's this quote by Wayne Gretzky, and he says, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. That we are built for connection. We're built for community. We are built to actually connect in meaningful ways with one another and with God. If there are, to if there are moments where we're like, you know what? I just, I'm not in that mood. I, I, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to put on the smile. I don't want to say happy Sabbath to people because it was just, it was a rough week. If you don't come to church and connect with people, then you miss out on that opportunity to have a meaningful connection. There are so many times where I have not been in the mood, and I realize that um, I'm a pastor right now, but this is speaking from pre-pastoral days when I didn't have to come to church. <laughs> there are times where I just thought to myself, I, today is just, I don't feel like going to church. And I'll tell you, on numerous occasions, when I would take that step out of the house, hop into the car, and drive to church, more often than not, for some reason, I would connect with somebody and have that meaningful conversation, and it would lift my mood. And there is a promise here. There's a quality of love and life that is found in community. It just so happens that we're now meeting in person, and so how opportune that this, uh, this passage is. We're at the, we've arrived in part three of this passage. Let's talk about prayer. I want to talk about how to have meaningful prayer. There are three, I guess, hints or three um, things that I feel can lead to more meaningful prayer. 
clearly this list is not exhaustive, but I hope and pray that these three things can be meaningful to you as well. The first tip to having meaningful prayer is to prepare to pray. If you prepare to pray, your time in prayer will be more meaningful. In other words, if you clear space for God, the likelihood of you actually encountering God is exponentially higher. So it's important to step away from time limits, step away from inner thoughts, step away from external circumstances. Douglas Steer points out, in order to pray, you have to stop being too elsewhere and to be there. So how does one become more present with God? I want to encourage you to spend time breathing before you pray. Spend time breathing before you pray. In the Adventist Church, we promote a program called New Start. And uh, the A in New Start stands for AIR. Um, I won't go through the whole acronym for the sake of time. But this idea of AIR em uh, emphasizes the importance of fresh air, but also the importance of uh, circulation and breathing. Did you know that by breathing slower and more deeply from your stomach, you can signal your nervous system to calm down? When you regulate your breathing, you experience an immediate improvement in mood, or excuse me, you can experience an immediate improvement in mood, and you can have a sense of calm. The military provides breath training to the special forces so that soldiers can immediately reduce stress in dangerous situation. They call it box breathing. Here's how it works. As you inhale, you count to four. And then as you exhale, you count to four, and then you hold your breath for four seconds. I'm going to ask you to humor me, and we're going to do it together twice. We're going to do it together twice. And what I want you to do while you're practicing this box breathing is I want you to focus on the count. So focus on the count. Now, I realize we're in a room full of people, and so um, it can be a little bit awkward, but just humor me. So we'll go twice. All right, ready? Here we go. Well, on three. One, two, three. We go round two. Now, I don't know about you, but it sure calms me as I'm standing in front and having all of you look at me. <laughs> so it calmed my nerves. I don't, know if it, I don't know if it helps you calm yours. But I find if you just spend time breathing and calming uh, breathing and calming yourself, it prepares your mind for communion. I encourage you to just try it out. Try it out a few times before you engage in prayer. After I do this, I have a memory verse that reminds me of the goodness of God, and I, meditated on, I meditate on it for a moment. In this meditation, I invite God to step into my heart to commune with me. Now, I say this often, but for me, the passage that helps me set my heart and mind is 1 Corinthians 13. And so as I think about the passage, I'm developing an awareness of God. I'm, a develop, I'm developing an awareness of who he is and what he's, what he's like, and it's preparing me to connect with God. Another good way of preparing for prayer is to have a special spot where you meet with God. I think it's possible to have a spot where you are more keenly aware of the presence of God. 
Over the years, I've had meaningful time with God over and over uh, at a place called the Mary Creek. And for me, the moment I step into this one place, there's this bridge, and as you, as you step on the bridge, you can overlook where the creek kind of rolls over these rocks, and it's kind of like this very picturesque place, and there's just something about stepping in creation that kind of puts my mind in a different space. And um, as I've spent more and more meaningful time with God over the years, uh, I find stepping into a space where I'm communing with God becomes quicker. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it takes more than a moment to kind of get your mind in that space. Um, if you're anything like me, I'll start by prayer, and then my thoughts kind of wander off, and then I might fall asleep, and then I'll kind of wake up and then try and start over again. And um, just having that special space where I just am keenly aware of God puts my mind uh, quicker to communion. If you feel pressed for time, I encourage you to take time out on Sabbath and spend a portion of this day personally with God. If you have kids, see if you can leave them with someone you trust for an hour and a half to an hour. If there are two parents, take turns having a moment of quiet time with God. If there's only one parent, maybe ask a grandparent or a friend to step in for a moment. You know, clearly, being able to have quality prayer time seven days a week is not realistic. But having one day a week makes such a big difference. And especially as Seventh-day Adventists, there's a promise embedded in the Sabbath that God says, I will bless you if you rest on this day. And the promise is not just, um, I guess, observing that command. It's not about inactivity. It's not about doing nothing to rest. It's about resting in God as creator. And so I encourage you, even if it's once a week, to take that time out and to commune with God. If you prepare to pray, prayer can become more meaningful. Here's the next hint. Think of prayer primarily as a means of abiding in Christ. Jesus was teaching his disciples near the end of his life and spoke these words in John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The implications of this text are significant. Jesus says that it is possible to have consistent responses to prayer regardless of how big or small those prayers are. But there's this condition to the promise. Jesus says, if we abide in him and his words abide in us, then answers to prayer will come. I found oftentimes my prayer centered on my needs, my troubles, my ambitions, and I've had moments when I pray for things and God didn't answer. If I'm honest, I felt frustration, I felt alone, and my faith wavered. This text flips the focus of prayer from meeting our personal needs to cultivating a connection with God. Jesus uses a metaphor of the vine and its branches. And in this metaphor, the result of a connection to the vine is fruit or specifically a grape. Jesus used grapes, or specifically grape juice, to teach his disciples about sacrifice and the shedding of his blood for the sake of others. Jesus gave all he had and all he was for the sake of God and humanity, and the result of that sacrifice would lead others to experiencing life. 
So then as we abide in Christ, we take all he has to offer, all his love, his sacrifice, his guidance, and his promises. Then out of the abundance of who God is and what he's given us, we then turn to the world around us and give the same life-giving sap that we have received. When we pray out of a connection with Jesus, our prayers will begin to shift and true power from prayer emerges. So to have meaningful prayer, prepare yourself for prayer. Think of prayer primarily as a connection to God. And finally, think of prayer as communication. Albert Morabian, a researcher of body language, found that communication is 55% nonverbal, 38% vocal, and 7% words only. Now factor in that we're communicating with an invisible and inaudible God, and oftentimes our dialogue can often feel like monologue, or sometimes really just a shopping list. The superficial nature of prayer at times feels like a turnoff, especially when we don't get what we want. Um, and there are also times when we're in prayer, uh, that, that time with God creates a deeper sense of guilt. And I don't know about you, but for me, I'm, I become more keenly aware of all the things that I should be doing, but the things that I'm not doing. And so then prayer becomes this space where I just kind of feel guilty. <laughs> and so then if there's a sense of, okay, I just kind of feel like I'm talking at God rather than talking with God, and I just feel guilt when I pray, then there's this aversion to that personal time with God, and there isn't really a benefit or strength that comes from that time. So I want to spend some time talking about what it means to listen to God. We know how to ask for things, we know how to speak, but what does it mean to listen? Oftentimes in prayer, we hear ourselves. We hear our judgment, we hear other people, we hear what we've been taught, or we might even hear what's been preached at church. It's so important to differentiate God's voice from every other voice. And in order to hear God speak, we have to educate our spiritual ear. I believe that educating the spiritual ear takes place outside of prayer. This is what I mean. If you have a clear understanding of God, then your time in prayer will begin to make a bigger difference. And you develop that understanding of God outside of prayer. I find it personally meaningful to pray through Scripture. It's time where I open up a passage and I'll just read through it as I pray. And I find that um, it becomes easier and clearer to hear God speak. If there's a passage that I find meaningful, I'll memorize the passage. As I recite the passage in my mind, I'm thinking about memories or circumstances from the day, the week, or the month. As I reflect on each word and each verse, I'm taking in a flood of feelings and impressions, both of my own and from God. And it's in this space that communion with God takes place. I can separate how I think and feel and what the text says about how God thinks and feels. And as I give space in my life to God, I'm able to see him act. I'll share an example. In Psalm 127, verse 1 and 2, the psalmist writes, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. 
It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So as I recite this passage, I'm thinking about the different things that I'm building. I want to build security and stability for my kids. And usually this comes in the form of financial security or financial stability. So as I'm praying through this passage, I ask God, what does it mean to allow you to build the future of my children? I think about the different things that make me anxious about my children's future. Am I eating the bread of anxious toil? Do I rise up early? Do I go to bed late trying to work out different ways that I can provide for my family? I think of finances. I think of their finances. I think of my children's careers. And as I'm reflecting on the scripture, I'm asking God, what do you think about each of these areas? If I'm honest, in many of these areas, my initial efforts are not centered on God. I'm not sure God cares if I pass wealth on to my kids or not. I do know that God wants my kids to be generous. So then if I spend time teaching my kids how to care for others, then I'm saying, God, you build their future. I don't have control over my finances completely, but God, you can take control of my kids' future. I'm not sure if if God wants my kids to have successful careers. Um, People used to ask me, what do you want your kids to be? And I would tell them, a billionaire. (laughs) I don't know if that's God's plan. But I'm sure God wants my kids to discover his call for their lives. So if I spend time teaching them to follow God, then I can give my anxiety, my fears to God. And that's my way of saying, God, you build their future. The more I give to God, the more I can rest in him. This passage can be claimed for work. God, what am I building at work? Are you building this? If not, what does it mean for me to give this project to you? Now, clearly, I'm a pastor, so then it becomes a bit easier for me to claim this this promise. But it's also very easy to do ministry out of selfish motives. Like There's so many different motivators behind um, what we do. But I don't think you have to be a pastor to claim this promise. See, you get to choose the ethical nature of how you conduct your business dealings. You get to choose or you get to determine, is my work a blessing to humanity? In this specific example, the key is giving priority to God. And this is why Paul says, or excuse me, this is why the psalmist says, um, this is why the psalmist says it's important for God to build the house. We are including God in our decisions. So as we prioritize God's cause, we get to see God work and the less we get to worry about what we have to do. So as you consider, as you consider these four devotional practices, whether it's encountering God's word and his work, whether it's a shared participation, whether it's breaking bread with one another, or whether it's prayer, I hope that these devotional practices can help you grow spiritually. And may we as a church grow numerically. May God bless you as you reflect on his word. I want to encourage you. Um, actually, I'm just going to. I want to encourage you. Um, 
we're going to be starting prayer groups through the month of May. And basically, whoever signs up for prayer, we'll just partner um, the people who sign up together, and we're just going to uh, provide more of a space to kind of connect with each other and to connect with God. And so if you're interested in joining us, uh, joining a group where we're going to be partnering with each other for prayer, I encourage you to chat with Jinha, let her know that you're interested, and we'll sign you up and connect you with the prayer partner. As usual, we have the Next Steps Connect card, so if you want to scan the QR code, uh, it provides uh, an opportunity for you to either uh, connect with the church more significantly by helping out in a certain area for ministry, or if you have a need, it gives you a chance to ask the pastor uh, or any one of the leaders to come and give you a visit. So we're more than happy to do that. These are today's discussion questions, so once again, we invite you to scan the QR code, and we'll be meeting out back uh, for some nibbles and discussion. Uh, we used to have uh, the paper printed out, but now we've just gone digital, and uh, we find this is probably an easier way to gain access to the questions, and so we look forward to chatting with you then. Would you bow your heads with prayer for me as we close today? Father God, I just want to thank you for these different avenues whereby we can connect with you in meaningful ways. So Father, as a church, as we connect to your word, as we connect with one another, and as we connect with you through prayer, I just pray that your presence would be felt in a significant way. And Father, may we sense you leading, guiding, and directing us. Father, we need strength in our lives. There are too many things that we don't have control over. And Father, we lack the wisdom to know what to do. And so we ask that you would step in as God and that you would guide us as a community and as individuals. We pray this in your name. Amen.